words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. We live in a technologically advanced age. Our phones have become pocket-sized computers with access to more information than you and I could or indeed would ever want to know. Nanotechnology has given us devices comprised of only a few molecules, which can nevertheless manipulate structures at the atomic level. Men have traveled as far as the moon, and more recently a probe flew by the maybe planet Pluto, at the very edge of our solar system, over 3.6 billion miles away. All this technology, all this knowledge, has revealed more definitively than ever some basic facts about us. For example, if one considers the internet, itself no small feat of engineering, a primary purpose appears to be the creation and dissemination of pictures and videos featuring animals doing people-like things. (laughs) I foolishly thought it would be a good idea to corroborate this thesis in preparing my sermon, and having spent the better part of an hour doing so, can commend to you a video of a dog using his ears to dance to a pop song, a llama prancing to a pop song, and a bizarrely mesmerizing video of a dog dressed to appear as a teddy bear walking on a treadmill. (laughs) Dogs do seem to be especially prevalent in the genre. Whatever your own opinions are of man's best friend, I think central to the appeal of canine mimicry of human behavior is something about the innocence with which they do it. For while dogs can bark, they can't craft self-deception in doing so. And while they can hear, their responses to our voices are completely without guile. We coo in high pitches, and they join in our happiness with relief and excitement. Or when they hear frustration in our voices, they cower and try to slink away. Given all this, why is it that we regard calling someone a dog so disgraceful? Of course, you might contend that my account of canines is overly domesticated. But I think whether strays or pets, the truth is there's just no pride in being a dog. Dogs are entirely dependent on their environment or the whims of their masters for subsistence. While we, whether correctly or not, prefer to see ourselves as more ingenious, more independent. In today's gospel lesson from Mark, we hear of a Syrophoenician woman who approaches Jesus when he visits the region of Tyre and Sidon. And Jesus not only utters a slur against her, but those of her race. They're dogs, he says. And the children, whom we presume are the Israelites, come first. What 
are we to do with these harsh words of Christ's? Was God incarnate a racist? Some have suggested that Jesus had something to learn from this woman, that she opened his eyes to the worthiness of all people. I would like unequivocally to reject that notion. Jesus, the Word made flesh, knew all he needed to. He was not a sinner. He was not a racist. For it is not Jesus who has something to learn from this Syrophoenician woman, but us. She bravely approaches our Lord, crossing cultural boundaries, and begs him to cast out her daughter's demon. When he makes an unkind, indeed offensive, comparison, she takes no umbrage. She cherishes her daughter's life more than her identity as a Syrophoenician. Much as in the lives of our four-legged friends, there is no pride in her entreaty. If only you and I could be so loving. It's not without consequence that when Jesus came to this region with its many Gentiles, he hoped people wouldn't know where he was staying. Our Lord is compassionate to the point that we have no record of him refusing to heal someone who sought him. So one of the central challenges of his ministry was performing his mission effectually. Not because he was constrained by any shortcomings of his own, but because fallen humanity's condition puts limitations on our ability to receive him. Then, as today. Thus, in order to reach us, to reach as many as possible, Jesus' ministry follows a certain movement that he's cognizant of. He begins with those who are expecting the Messiah and who are therefore in a better position to interpret what transpires for those who are not, i.e. those outside of Israel, the Gentiles. Yet Jesus cannot help but share his mercy with all who seek it. Israel is God's chosen people. His coming is a fulfillment of the prophecy we hear in our passage from Isaiah this morning. He comes to heal, to open the eyes of the blind, to unstop the ears of the deaf, that the lame might leap like stags and the mute sing out joyously. But this does not exhaust the purpose of his life. For Christ comes to do more than that. He comes to conquer death itself. And yet this Syrophoenician woman has jumped the line. This heroic Gentile is not merely approaching Jesus before he has extended the focus of his ministry to her people, but she's setting aside her pride. When she comes to Jesus and he speaks in such a manner as to draw out whether her faith is completely in him, he discovers it is. And those words of his are certainly not the first harsh words our Lord has spoken. Indeed, Jesus' unrelenting call to righteousness condemns us all. 
It is a standard that, although good for us, no fallen person can achieve. Yet his truthfulness about our condition helps us as it squashes our own self-regard. And lest anyone assume that his analogy bespeaks that his preference to minister to Jews was anything more than pragmatic, consider the analogy more closely. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Dogs may be without pride, but children can certainly be proud. A friend of mine who grew up in London would babysit for the two sons of her parents' friends. And she would, when they were very disobedient and obstinate, use their full names, as any angry adult would. To which the elder was known to reply, It's the right honorable, actually. (laughs) That's very funny. (laughs) But the pride of children, the pride of the children to which Jesus refers in this analogy, is far graver in consequence. For the people most proud of their religious claim to exclusivity together with the collusion of the Roman Empire, crucify the very God who is apparently the source of all their pride. And remarkably, even though they and we behave as entitled rascals, our Lord is merciful. We see that in the terrible price he paid to ransom us from the wages of sin. That even when human pride is at its most horrid and destructive peak, Jesus Christ is continuing to extend his mercy. And whether we are Syrophoenician or Jew, Roman or Celt, Yankee or Southerner, Auburn or Alabama, in Christ we find proof that God will stop at nothing to bridge the gap between our own shortcomings and his great righteousness. For I think that God delights in thereby moving us to do Jesus-like things even more, even more than we delight in seeing dogs Do human-like things. Amen.